Do you find that strangers or people that you don't know as well will support you 10 times more than people that are close to you? I really hate this narrative. I really hate this narrative. I'll tell you why. I know that whatever number I hit, it will never be enough. I just hated it. I honestly hated being a lawyer. When you're preparing something, you can prepare a speech. What you can't prepare is when somebody challenges you back. What's the intention for a millennial mind from this point onwards? Oh, this is hard because I never tell anyone my plans. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mindful Creative Podcast. I really appreciate you being here. If there's one thing that I would love to ask for in return to help me make this podcast bigger and better would be to ask you to please hit the like button and the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening to this on. It massively helps me grow the reach of this podcast and to get bigger and better guests on as time goes on as well. Once again, thank you so much. Massive appreciation. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. So uh, my guest today is Shivani Pal. Uh, Shivani, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm okay. I've have got a really bad headache today. <laughs> I've just no. been complaining too about it, but I'm okay. I'm I'm grateful. I'm happy to be here with you, and I'm really glad we've connected. So thank you for having me on. No, definitely. And um, you know, we were just talking a second ago about this, but I do want to just acknowledge you on here. I know you're not having the best of days <laughs> just, just okay. you being on this and choosing to take part in this tells me so much about your character actually which is amazing because it just shows me the level of resilience you have to get things done uh when you have your mindset to something so I just absolutely love that uh so I'm excited to get into so, yeah I was just gonna say for me it's about commitment I think a lot of the time we can just not be committed to things and just say like oh is it okay if we do it another time and I did say to you you know shall we reschedule and I could see that you're like mm, not sure when I have and I don't have time next week and I know how it is when I have podcast guests and I'm you've you you've I don't say this in like an arrogant way but you've asked me to come on which means that you must be excited to have a conversation whenever I had asked a guest to come on and I was really excited to have a conversation with them like I was with every single guest yeah. and it would change or it would cancel it's like oh because you spent the day preparing you've spent the time for the questions you've sacrificed on something else to make sure that this gets done in time and I, I know that feeling and so that's why you know I'm fine I just I just have to have like half an hour to refresh and then we're good to go <laughs> yeah you're you're amazing and what I love is that you've been on the other side of the journey so you know what all of that feels like and uh, yeah just an absolute uh legend for still showing up so I appreciate that not at all um okay well look let's let's get into it because I know there's a lot that you want to share I've got uh loads of questions that I want to uh, go through with you as well um I'm actually curious to talk a little bit before a millennial mind even started okay okay and specifically like I know that you worked at Atos and you've had a, a corporate career the question I have for you is how did you choose the career path that you were on previously and what were you working towards before this even became a thing <laughs> that's such a good question no one has ever asked me that I love it when people ask me any questions <laughs> I have always been somebody who has stuck what they believed in I've always been somebody who has not been afraid to show my differences I remember so clearly when I was like 10 and I used to paint my nails black 
and my I used to live in a big family so I used to live with my dad his brother his wife and I remember my pabble my auntie I, I call her pabble she yeah. was like you can't paint your nails black you look so weird and I was like I don't care I'd, I'm fine with having my nails black and I remember I cut my hair really short like this short by the way wow because I saw someone I saw someone on like Coronation Street or Extenders do it and I just want to say those programs really negative affected me in so many ways <laughs> because I just used to copy everything I used to see on there like the swearing and like the erratic behavior and like the short haircuts I don't know what it was but I always felt like I was very okay with not conforming in the sense that even my mom says when I was a kid when I was one years old you know my cousins would come and they would wear matching hairbands and they would wear dresses and they would have dolls and they would be reading quietly in the corner and I would like throw my hairband off and I would always have like food down me and like nothing has really changed like I am still honestly like a little bit of a mess and so I always say that your childhood is really who you are and I think I was also very comfortable with being a little bit different and when I when you say what did I choose to do I didn't have a choice because I wasn't the most academic in school I wasn't the smartest person at university and therefore I wasn't able to make a choice in the sense that I had thousands of choices to make from and I say that openly because I think so many of us think we have that and we don't. So I did really badly my GCSEs. My A-levels were picked for me okay. because they were the only ones that I could do. From my A-levels, I chose to read law and sociology at Warwick, which God knows was a miracle how I got in. I don't, I don't know how, how that happened, but I worked really hard at my A-levels and then yeah. I was able to get in. And then when I was at university, I did go to several law firms, like took a chance for a day. And I went to work, do work experience at Evershed. And I went to do work experience at, um, I can't even remember, Pinsent Masons mm -hmm. and a couple of other ones. And I just hated it. I honestly hated being a lawyer. And I don't know when you're going to release this podcast. When are you going to release this podcast? Uh, most likely in the next week, week and a half. All right, I won't say them. Um, but essentially, no, I'll be visiting one of them. No, I'll be, I'll be visiting. And it's funny because I hated those firms because I didn't ever want to be a lawyer, if I'm honest, because I found it very manipulative. I found the fact that you had to show zero compassion for the opposite side very hard. Mm -hmm. And I realized that from a young age because I was only interested in family law and I was only interested in property. Okay. And I remember in property, you were evicting people out of their houses if they haven't paid. And I found that so hard. And in family law, I remember so clearly someone saying, but you have to say and exaggerate things to get what you want. And I was like, okay, but this is never going to work for me. You've got to make um, people right, basically. Well, the thing is, is you've got to manipulate the situation. And there's always, always two sides of a story. And if you escalate one and you highlight one more than the other, then the other one is going to feel, you know, that, they don't have anywhere to go yep. so if you can make things up and make the other person feel really tiny I don't want to be involved in that anyway the point was I was like I don't have a choice so what do I do like what do I actually do I remember I applied to maybe like four jobs I was very lazy at university very lazy and I always put my laziness down to the fact that I'd rather fail knowing I didn't try rather than try and then fail and I still sometimes have that mentality. I would avoid doing something because if I've tried and I failed, I feel much worse than if I've tried, than if I've not tried and I failed. Because if you don't try, you can always say to yourself, but I didn't try, I didn't yeah. work hard. And that's the reason that it's the worst thing I ever did growing up is I just avoided things because I didn't want to feel like I was trying. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. It's almost like, um, 
the fear of failing or feeling like a failure is easily correct if you don't try in the first place right exactly and which is so 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 contradictory to what i'm like now right like everyone will be like that doesn't make any sense because i'm like (laughs) ask a question who cares if you fail just ask it so i think that growing up that was very much who i was and when i came out of university like i said i applied to like three or four jobs i remember i applied to unilever i applied to i actually can't remember like i know i applied to unilever and i got rejected from that i remember and then eon and I remember so clearly I went to Eon's interview in Nottingham and it was for their, for their graduate program. I mean, I don't know who came up with this term graduate scheme, but like it's the, it's like the thing you have to do when you leave university, Absolutely. right? If you don't get into a graduate scheme, you're a failure. Everyone's like, doesn't, don't, don't, doesn't matter what job you have, what grad scheme are you on? And I was like, okay, so I applied for a grad scheme yeah. and this grad scheme was in like customer service. And I was like, all right, okay, I don't know what it is. Um, I went to Nottingham for the interview. And the day before, it was like a whole day thing. And the day before, they had a dinner. So we were sitting at the dinner. And anyone who doesn't live in London, if you have a non-London audience, they're going to laugh at me and be like, everyone in London is like this. It's so stereotypical what I'm about to say. But I sat there and I said, so where's your office in London? And they looked at me and they were like, we don't have an office in London. I was like, huh? What? I was like, so where are you going to work? And they were like, in Nottingham. I was like, what? I was like, I don't understand. Like, how do you not have an office in London? Like, what, what, what is this? And they were like, you're in Nottingham, you know? And I was like, mm, okay, weird. And I was like, okay, well, obviously I'm not even going to, I'm not going to try because I'm I'm never, ever in a million years going to move to Nottingham. Why would I do that? And so I remember I went upstairs after the dinner and I had a bath. And I had a bath and I was like, la, 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 la. Like, who cares? Tomorrow's just like a nice day out, you know? I'm not bothered. I went through the interview day and I really enjoyed it. And I got the job. And guess what? Lazy me didn't apply for another job, job did they? So I had to take the job. So I had to take the job. And it was a four, it was a two-year grad scheme with four different things. The first one was in Bedford, which is a two-hour commute from my house. Two hours there and two hours oh. back, four hours of traveling. Okay. And the second placement was in outside of Birmingham. None of them were in like the heart of the city, by the way. It was like King, King's Wimford, I think it was. And I don't know if anyone from the North knows that. It's quite far from Birmingham. That was amazing. So I got to live in a hotel Monday to Thursday and then come home every Friday and Sunday and then live in a hotel again, which I loved. And I loved the role. And then the third one was in Nottingham and then the fourth one I stayed in Nottingham. So, you know, sorry, third one was in Nottingham. Fourth one was in Bedford again. And then I just went back to Nottingham and stayed there. And, um, you know, when you say, what what did I want to do? I didn't. And, and this was the problem that I was having. You know, I was in this position where, I was like sleeping on the way to work. And I mean, like, I was just so lazy. And I, and I, was, I was lazy in the sense that I wasn't fulfilling myself. Mm-hmm. I was never lazy I ne- in the sense that like I never woke up at like 2 p.m. on a Saturday and like slept all day Saturday, Sunday. That was just never, never me. I'd always go and see my grandparents. I'd always go and see my friends. I'd always be doing something. You know, I'd always be doing something yeah. productive a lot of the time. Yeah. Whether it was playing a sport or doing something. Like, I was never someone who just sat at home in front of the TV is what I'm trying to say. But I always felt lazy in the sense that, you know, in the mornings to wake up and then my dad would drive me to the train station, which was like half an hour away because you couldn't get a train from like near my house. Okay. And then I would have an hour train journey where I would sleep the entire time. And then I would have to walk 20 minutes and then get on a bus for 30 minutes 
And again, I would sleep the whole time. And wow. I'd get to work and I'd be so groggy and tired because you're waking up so early and then you're sleeping again. And it's just, I just remember feeling a bit like a mess, you know, in the terms of the way I was presenting myself. I just felt like a mess. And I wasn't working in like a corporate office, like in London. And it is a difference. I was working in a call center. And so, you know, you're not in this environment when you come out of university of what you think you should be doing. I thought that I'd be in like, especially because I'd gone to all these magic circle firms and I'd gone to work experience all these amazing places. I thought I'd be going to work in a nice suit or I thought I'd be going to work in a nice shirt. And I, and I wasn't, I was just going in like a jumper and trousers and nobody knew me there. So then I didn't wear makeup. And I do think that for somebody like me personally, in order for me to feel and look my best, I have to wear makeup. That is a personal choice. Yep. And I feel that when I don't look nice or when I wear like a tracksuit when I'm working, I don't work as effectively. It's not like I have to wear like jeans. I do normally wear like a nice tracksuit. But let's say I was wearing like a really old jumper and really old tracksuit. I actually find it impacts my productivity okay. very weirdly. And I recognize that when I was there. And I just remember being like, I feel like a failure. Like I actually feel like a complete failure. And I am a failure because... I've done really badly in my education my whole life. Not really badly, but, you know, everyone I knew was an ASVAR student. Everybody I knew was earning, like, 50 grand on their first salary. And I was like, I'm here in, like, the sticks while you're in a nice London office going for drinks on a Thursday night, and I'm sitting here, like, on a two-hour commute back from Bedford. Like, this is my life, you know? And I remember being so miserable, so miserable. Like, all my friends are going to, like, all these nice lunch places in London and I was going to the bloody waitress and I had to cross a dual carriageway to get there like there was no shops I was in an industrial estate and I remember at that time thinking like what am I going to do what am I gonna do and I was like just get through the graduate scheme and then you can find a job in London just get through the graduate scheme and find a job in London simultaneously I was in a long-term relationship and it was crumbling and about a year two years into it my job um I, I ended the really the relationship ended right okay. and when the relationship ended it actually caused me to think so much more about what do I want what do I want what do I want in a partner and when you always think about what you want in a partner you have to first identify what you want within yourself always and simultaneously I was also doing something like around operational excellence at work so it was all about you know, lean methodologies and all around thinking in a different way and all around processes and all around reading like Stephen Covey and learning around like Dale Carnegie. And I, I was just so like interested in it because anything in that moment that was going to help me learn or like be better, I was trying to grasp, right? I wanted to be better. And at this time, it was more just discovering. And I'll tell you what happened after, but I'll wait for you to ask me the question because I've spoken for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's so many things that you've shared there that I resonate with myself anyway. Yeah. Uh, because okay. I've uh, GCSEs were okay, uh, completely failed in my A levels. Um, yeah, everyone did either or. I was like, the, yeah. I was the first one to do it though. Yeah. Everyone else like did really well in their GCSEs and then failed in their A levels. So I was like, God, I uh, it's actually bringing back some trauma from that whole period of my life. It's amazing. Um, it was incredible nightmares oh all the time I and it's amazing how much that makes me still feel like a failure considering Mm. how much I've done since then so I I don't think that part ever leaves us but we do learn to deal with it much better over time anyway 
but you know yeah. I, I got into uni somehow through clearing um I actually ended up dropping out the first time so I love that it's uh a hell of experience I actually did um electronic engineering at Queen Mary wow and I dropped out after my first year and a half why uh, same exact thing so and that's why when you said it, it had such a massive smile on my face where you were like it's better to fail by not trying rather than having tried and then failed yeah, yeah. Uh, because the idea of me trying recognizing or feeling like I wasn't good enough because of the result was too painful to actually witness so mm. it was easier to just quit and it was interesting what happened because after that I got a I got a job doing sales in the Royal Bank of Scotland, actually. And Amazing. I was doing well there. I, I don't know how I got that job, but I was doing well. Mm -hmm. And um, it actually ended up inspiring me to go back to uni uh, to do accounting and finance instead. And I actually wow. stuck with it, but I realized halfway through, I was having the same feelings about it. But because I'd experienced the pain of not finishing it and then the remorse of it afterwards, it actually mm. inspired me to keep going with it. It's amazing because I did the whole degree and realized I don't want to be an accountant, but that's a separate story. So, um, you know, it's, um, it's amazing how much I resonate with your, with your story. Um, there's something that you said there, which I think is super important to touch on, which is you felt lazy about like getting up or like going to work and all that stuff, but then you didn't feel lazy on mm. that you were wanting to do stuff with your family. And when you yeah doing things that you were passionate about and yeah I think I yeah sorry go on no I, I mean the the question I have is is did you ever feel inspired in the job that you were in because for me no. I've realized is if you're not inspired in any way or form everything's going to feel like shit everything and I was not inspired at all in fact I remember thinking like I don't want to be with any of these people around me and it was just the most ridiculous thing was, and you're going to laugh at this, and I've never shared this before. My first manager of my first job had worked at Eon for I don't know how many years, maybe over 10 years. I don't know exactly, but it was he was in his 40s. Okay. I, as a 22-year-old graduate, had a higher salary than him. That is ridiculous. And he knew that. So he hated me. I'm not hated me like that is and I remember in that moment thinking why am I in this position and I hated myself more and more every day for not applying to different jobs because the problem is is a grad scheme is only once a year yeah right you can't really enter a grad scheme in like December you have to start in January mm -hmm. and in that moment I remember being like I'm such a moron for not applying to different places I'm so stupid for not doing that and now I'm stuck here or I'm a year behind. And I did a four year course. I did law and sociology. So it was four years. So I already finished at 22 rather than 21. And I'm the youngest in my year. So it didn't really matter because I'm born in July. Okay. So that was the justification for me and my family as well. Of like, okay, you can do a four year course because you'll finish when you're just 22 and everyone would have just started when they're starting 22. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, but I couldn't then risk saying to them okay I don't like my job and I'm going to apply for another job because first of all I didn't have like you know loads and loads of different ideas of what I could do I didn't know 
I, I, I really honestly did not have a clue of what I could do. And all I thought was HR. Yep. Um, and then consulting and even consulting, if I'm honest, I think you had to have a maths degree if you did it, if you went into like one of the big four to do it. I don't know how I got into it this, with this way, but I bloody did. I have no idea, honestly. And and that's where your journey at Atos kind of took over, right? Because that's, were you working in London then? Or? Correct. I worked at E.ON for two years. I actually ended up loving it and, I, and it changed my life because they actually asked us to go back to Warwick and do a postgraduate at the business school, which I refused. But that, that, that degree or that course, whatever it was, completely changed my life. I literally have my notes here in my flat. Really? This is my room. I still have my notes. It is that I, I, if someone told me right now that I could go back to one moment in my life, it would be to go back to them. I learned everything I know now through them, everything. And if wow. I could have one mentor in the world, in the entire world, over any celebrity, over any founder, I would choose my Warwick teacher. Really? He was amazing, like unbelievable. And I loved it. And what I want to share there is, when you love learning, it is the greatest joy in the whole world. There's no better feeling. And I remember I used to come out of those classes and I used to want to discuss it with everyone at dinner and everyone would be like, Shivani, like ask any of my friends at Eon. They would be like, oh, Shivani, can you just stop talking about it? And I was like, no, 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 no. But like, did you research this? And did you research that? And I still message, honestly, all of them being like, can you send me your essay from when we went to Warwick? And they're like, I don't have it anymore. And the other day I was like, to my friend, when I was preparing for my TED talk, not the other day, that was in February. But I was like, can you send me your Warwick essay so I can like read over stuff? And she's like, Shwani, you're just obsessed with Warwick. And I was like, I am. It changed everything for me because when I fell in love with learning, it was when I realized I was academic. It was when I realized that I did have strengths. And it was when I realized that I could study. It wasn't that I, I couldn't and I was you know had all these different learning difficulties and had all these different problems I still think I might have dyslexia I haven't been tested for it or I still think I might have ADHD but I think everyone thinks I have ADHD right now we're so overly stimulated but I really honestly struggled so much to get pen to paper and this whole postgraduate thing that I did at Warwick with the business school you didn't get a grade hey. you did not get a grade they wanted you to learn there was no exam. You actually had to be on video and explain to them what you'd learned. So you can't cheat your way. You can't cheat. And I remember in the in the videos, they were saying to so many people, like, just be honest. What did you learn from this experience? What did this teach you? Because when you're preparing something, you can prepare a speech. What you can't prepare is when somebody challenges you back and they're asking for your deep, deep understanding. And through that is how you learn because you're actually teaching somebody else. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. The only reason it's interesting you're talking about falling in love with learning. The only reason that I continued with the uh, accounting and finance degree was because I enjoyed learning about it and I could practically find a use for what I was learning. And then yes, yes, that's that's the thing. Because if I, if I can't find something practical in terms of usage of what I'm learning and then apply it to something then my brain automatically just goes, well, what's the point in even knowing it in the first place? So then I- And that's I exactly, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what the Warwick, the Warwick course did. We did a week at Warwick and then two months at work to implement. And then a week yeah. at Warwick and we implemented it in our jobs. So yeah. I was getting like so much joy because I'm implementing something with my team. They're loving it. I'm going back and I'm learning and I'm sharing, I'm learning more things and I'm sharing my experiences of like this worked and this worked and now I want to learn nothing. It was unbelievable. Amazing. 
you mentioned your favorite mentor which is yes. your teacher Nick. that is I, I think um I, I think having mentors in life is absolutely essential because they're going to show us things that we can't see ourselves what makes an incredible mentor for you like why was Nick the mentor that he is to you to this day he changed my perspective on everything everything I always give this example it, it, it blew my mind so I'll, I'll repeat it I I'm, I keep stretching my back I'm really sorry because I've been sitting oh, all day so I'm like I, I like for for a second forgot we were in a podcast I thought we were just having a chat so I was like doing this and then I realized um <laughs> that's all good I walked in one day and I said can I get the toilet because I was like how much time do we have because what would happen is we would all stay there so there was a group of around maybe 35 of us about eight of us were from Eon and people were scattered from different organizations yeah and so there was like 35 of us and we had a little coffee area outside it was amazing we had amazing snacks it was unbelievable the food was amazing I wish I vlogged it like I'm like why didn't I vlog it <laughs> anyway food was amazing and we would always gather in the morning and as as people were gathering we would kind of then walk into the classroom and it wasn't a classroom like it was at university it was kind of like one of the, it was it was like a room with like chairs and tables but you know just a free-for-all where you could yep. move it around so we were all kind of moving our chairs and kind of finding a position and I said to him oh Nick sorry um do you mind if I go to the bathroom and what do you think he said actually what do you think he said to me oh that's a good question um probably something along the lines of either no hold it or like why are you distracted something along those lines yeah he said why are you asking me and i said what 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 do you mean why i'm asking you because i'm just saying are we going to start or if, if, if we're going if it's going to cause you to start late then i'll just go after and he was like okay well if i start late who's it going to impact and i was like um uh like I don't know, like everyone else here. And he was like, so ask them. And I was like, what the hell? Like, Whoa. what? That's a hell and of a statement. The whole premise of his purpose was we always look to an authoritative figure to give us an answer. But he's not impacted if we start late. My classmates are. Yeah. And in an organization, we always look to our manager. And in our schools, we always look to our teachers. And when we grow up, we always look to our bosses and our managers at work. But it's around our teammates. It's around our collective. And we have to be accountable to each other and not the person in, in charge. We're just not children anymore. And I was, I, and he didn't, he didn't even have to explain it to me. I just, in that moment, I learned so much. Mm -hmm. And then I just remember looking at him and that example will stay with me for the rest of my life. I don't even think he knows how much I love him. I like, honestly... I think by the end of the session, I was like, I love this man. I love him. And I think I'm just like regret every day, not like harassing him for his number. He's retired now. But I hope he watches one of my podcasts one day and realizes yeah, how much I love know. him. <laughs> Massive shout out to Nick. You see, things like that, it just complete. I've never, ever heard anyone say that. Mm. And things like that completely changed my perspective because we have to learn to remember who is impacted by our decisions. And we're just not. That is such a insanely powerful lesson uh, because it does 
your decisions do impact so many more people than just the authority figure that you're exactly. looking at, right? And uh, not just you, just all of us, every single one. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. 100%. Like, yeah. Mind-blowing. Complete, yeah. like, mind-blown situation. That is yeah. insane. Okay. I'm going to use that with some of my clients from now on. And uh, yeah. definitely credit you and Nick to... <laughs> That's massive. But, yeah. And things and things like that. And I just remember, and I still have my notebook here. I can reach down and show you. Shall I do it? Let me yeah, reach down and show you. Yeah. It's by my bedside. And it's literally got all of my notes like you won't be able to see because of the blurred background but can you see yep. it says wbs a little bit yep, yep 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 this is quite a funny podcast for anyone watching this is like such a weird podcast people are gonna be like what's wrong with you but even in here like this is this is this is what i would do by the way still Doodle. i love that Doodle. i don't know who this man is by the way it looks like breaking bad man it, I was literally going to say it does, like that, or, it does, doesn't it? or it's the Milky Bar Kid. It's one of the two. <laughs> but there was just so many things in here that he taught me. And I remember, like, I just, I just remember, make, look at all these pages and pages of notes. Wow. Like, pay, and, I, and I just, I, I'm so upset I didn't write more because, you know, just like, look at this thing. This is a diagram. Yep, I can see that, kind of. Annoyingly. Yeah, I, can you see this diagram? The point is, is a diagram of fish and it shows fish swimming. And there's one fish that is like, there's a fish here and then there's all the fish here. And you look at it and you think the fish is the leader. Mm -hmm. That's in American culture. In Japanese culture, the fish is by itself and it's behind. And the whole thing wow. is like all of our cultures, all of our perceptions, our whole environment is so different. And we could be looking at the same thing and it can show us completely different things. And this is very similar to that image in the seven habits of highly effective people where people are like, what do you see? Is it an old lady or is it a young woman? Yep. Do you know what I'm talking yep. about? And everyone, you know, has a different perception of life. And that's because of our environments. That's how we're shaped. And we have to remember that as well. You know, some people come with a life and they experience so much trauma. And yeah. some people have a really different life and they're so blessed and they don't have any of that. And we have to be so empathetic and understand that our way is not the only way. And Warwick for me, I hated it when I did law school. It makes me sick. I still have nightmares that I'm 30 of like, I failed my exam. I missed a lecture. I missed my exam every day. And I have to wake myself up being like, Ronnie, you are no longer in university. <laughs> don't worry. But Warwick Business School completely changed my perspective of that. And that's why I really, I think, it changed my life and it got me into all of this stuff that I'm doing now because it really allowed me to not be scared to learn. I think the biggest takeaway for me from that as well is it just shows how insanely important it is to have the right people around you to guide you on this journey as well, because yeah. no one gets through life by themselves. Nobody. No and, one. No one. Anyone that says that they did is lying. Like, it's just not, Yeah. I I couldn't be where I am today. I can boast about how much I've done, whatever, but it's all because someone else was there to help me as well. And I'm Did sure- Did you watch my Rather Kadal's podcast? No, I'm like 20 minutes into that one. That's literally what he said. He was like, no one is self-made. No one on this planet. And no I, I never heard any. I never had anyone say that. So. Okay. I was like, oh, he's like, oh yeah, you're so right. He was like, 
no one is self-made and he was like everyone likes to think they're self-made but they're not some people are like a lot less self-made than others i will say that yeah. but he's right no one is self-made everyone is influenced by someone without nick i wouldn't have anything without rush i wouldn't have anything without my parents i wouldn't have anything so yeah that's well it's huge because you you gotta everyone has people around them to help them in some way or form or if you don't you want to get some but at the same time, you want to make sure they're the right people who are sure. asking you the right questions and pointing you in the right direction. I think that's so important. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that. So that's going to stay with you for life. And now that's definitely going to stay with me as well. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about what you're doing right now. So obviously, a millennial mind is doing quite well. Uh, you've, you know, I've seen you grow like it's been amazing to see how you've become like a household name in like the people that I know communities and stuff. It's, it's amazing to see. Um, I love that. What made you start the podcast in the first place? Like what was the point? So like I said, I've always been somebody also, I don't know if the sound is different because one of my airpods has died. Does it sound different? Sounds all good. Okay. So like I said, I was always somebody who was quite argumentative. I was quite someone who's outspoken, but I was always like reserved as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. In my house, I was, and I'd always ask why, and you know, I'd always ask other people, "Oh, how did you do that?" And I was always very in- interested, but I was still not as I think outspoken as I am today. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a lot more confident now, but I was always like that. Like I said, I was in this stage. I'd just broken up of a relationship, and I was actually in this stage of and I remember saying this I said I'll sleep when I'm dead okay right I used to say that I was like so full of like I need to make use of every hour of every day I just switched my mind I'd become like a lunatic in terms of like I was at this point like reading all Warwick stuff at all points of the day and like watching all these videos and Jay Shetty you know I knew him before he was blowing up and at this time he was blowing up I was obsessed with all all his videos and I was like oh my god and I remember being like time is everything you need to use every hour of every day and I was just very excited about this new era of my life I guess and I guess I was a bit like you know going out a bit more I never did that at university you know like I I never in a million years went out two nights in a row at university I never did that I was never party animal and I felt that when I broken up from this relationship, I was like free and I was like very happy about my life. And in this summer, Rashma, who is my mum's cousin, and when I say my mum's cousin, I had met her once when I was a baby. I never had a conversation okay. with her. Right. Yeah. So when I say she's my auntie, she's not my auntie that I speak to ever. I'd never spoken to her in my whole life, okay. like apart from when I was seven and I had no recollection of who she was. All I knew was that she was my auntie who worked in the White House. And I should go and meet her. And I remember I said to my mom, I'm not coming to meet her. I have no interest. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm, and I remember I was doing a modeling shoot in London. And I was like, I'm going to be there all day. I don't care. But anyway, I finished early. And I called her and I said, okay, where are you guys? And she said, okay, just come and say, see her. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I'm in London, I might as well. And I went, and I remember like meeting this woman who was like really strong, really inspiring, really well-spoken, really beautiful really dominant and I was just like oh what the hell like I've I've never met a woman like that like everyone I know was very subservient and quite quiet and were always told that they weren't able to raise their voice or speak up about something and they didn't have any new ideas and I just never heard a woman speak like that in my life so I was quite shocked 
And I remember sitting there being like, oh my God, she's so cool. Like, wow, this is amazing. And she paid for lunch for everyone. And I was like, bloody hell, that's so cool. And then she said to me, you know, why don't you come to my book launch tonight? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, again, I was, I was very resistant at this age of my life. I was very young and I was very much like, oh, I don't know if I want to go. And like, oh, I want, I want to get back to Nottingham. Can you believe? I was like, I want to go back to Nottingham. <laughs> I think that's the best time I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved it. I loved Nottingham, by the way. I absolutely loved it. Um, but on the Sunday, I was like, I want to go back. And anyway, I went. And I remember, again, I walked into the room. The second I walked into that room, she introduced me to her publisher and she said, Shivani's going to write a book. I'd spoken to her about 10 minutes. She knew nothing about me. She just said that she saw something within me. And she said to her publisher, Shivani's going to write a book. And I, I remember thinking, like, what? The first time someone really believed in me. Wow. Like, apart from my mum. And my mum's always going to believe in me because my mum's, like, the nicest human being on the planet, you know? Number but one fan. somebody who's, yeah, number one fan, the best person ever. <laughs> but for me, Rashan was somebody who I respected. Rashan was someone who I admired to be, like, Rashan was intelligent, you know? She was, like, this superhero in my life that I was like what the hell like in an instant you know when you meet someone you're like wow yep. they're really cool absolutely and for her to say she's gonna write a book I was like okay whatever the point is I'm rambling that evening I was surrounded by all of these really smart journalists who were also women because Rashman's book was around being brave and not being perfect you wow. had a room of women who are all telling you their experiences about how they strive for perfection and how that didn't work for them and how they've been raised and they were all sharing their experiences about the discrimination that they had and the difficulty they had in the workplace and how hard it is in, in these different scenarios. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is amazing. Call it signs from God, call it the universe, call it coincidence. That summer I was going to New York and Rushman lives in New York. Yeah. She's literally never there because she's traveling all the time. And I said to her, can I shadow you for a day? And she said, sure. So I shadowed her for a day and within that day she was recording a podcast but she was recording a podcast like I'm sitting in my room right now I'm recording yeah. it she yeah. had no no video there was no windows it was just her and a mic and her producer that was there in terms okay, of wow. like having an assistant it wasn't like a proper producer she just was speaking into a microphone I remember thinking like huh is this a podcast and she was like yeah and she was like, you can do a podcast like this. It's this easy. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's crazy. I thought you had to have, like, video videographer. You had to have loads of money. Yep. And you had to invest in a mic. Blah, blah, blah. So she made it accessible for me. And I think it's so important to shadow people that you're that you're inspired by. I think it's, and, and now it's not about shadowing. They're spending the day with them. Now it's like watching their vlog, watching yeah. their story. We have that accessibility to almost anyone. So you can see what people are doing. And so for me, I came back to the UK and I just thought, I really want to do this. But this was in 20, this was in 2019. Yep. I released the first episode of Millennial Mind in 2020. And so I recorded the episodes at the start of the year and then I sat on them for six months. Because oh, just wow. like everyone else, I, I had insecure insecurities. I had self-doubt. I thought no one's going to want to watch this. This is so embarrassing. I can't believe that I'm actually going to do this. And I had all of that stuff going on. I really wish I had the clips that I took on camera because I had taken my cam my friend's camera to like Mira Manic's house, who was like a best-selling author at this point, and had a cafe in uh, Soho. And I took it to her house and I balanced it on like 20 books. And I really thought it was going to be a good video. And it's so hilariously funny. It's in like 720p and you can't you can barely see both of us and you can just see like the sides of us it's so terrible and I just remember looking at it and, th and being so disappointed and being like why does this not look like impact theory like 
I don't understand. <laughs> like, what what is going on? And I remember then thinking, okay, I'm just going to do audio. I did season one, which was just audio. I only had two episodes when I released the podcast. Yeah. And after releasing the first one, it was number 10 in the charts. Wow. And from every every week then I was just really consistent so I would find a guest I would choose a topic I'd record the podcast I would edit it myself bearing my yep. zero editing experience yeah within a week so the That's first amazing. season killed me whilst I had my job it killed me I was so 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 tired and then I waited six months and I did season two and then I waited like nine months and I did season three and then after season three I again Reshma came to the UK and she said it's like my guiding angel in this whole story in my whole story <laughs> Um, she, she was going to the Oxford Union debate in Oxford and I remember being so engaged for three hours and normally I need snacks or normally I'm you know bored or I get yeah. very easily distracted and I was so focused for three hours and I thought why am I so focused and I realized it's because there was a debate on there's two sides of a story and people are raising really strong points and people are having really interesting conversations you want to listen yeah and so I took that away and I thought I'm gonna get a studio I'm going to call it the millennial debate, which I don't know where that name came from. And I also has that's died because we're still in the millennial debate uh, from last year. And <laughs> I essentially just put so much more effort into the podcast. And eventually that's what's made it grow. <laughs> well, look, e effort reaps the rewards, right? Uh, we have both uh, known that from all of our experiences through work and everything else. There's a couple of things that you mentioned that I think are really important to touch on. Um, you sat on episodes for six months and didn't put out anything because you had insecurities. There are yeah. probably, not probably, there are definitely people listening. I, I know I'm one of those people as well that have insecurities. What have you done to be able to practically deal with the insecurities that you've got? I get better and better and better and better. How? The reason why I had insecurities about those episodes is because I turned up to somebody's house with a shit camera, with no tripod, with no idea what I was doing, and with one mic in between us sat on their sofa. I was not prepared. The same thing happened when I went to the second guest house. I used her tripod. It's so funny, the video. I'm so sad I don't have it. This is where every, everyone should document everything at the start of their journey. Everyone should do it. But I had the, I, I imagine like this is us speaking on this table, yep. like here, yep. there was a tripod there. So you can literally just see like this, this is what you can see in the video is like me having Amazing. a conversation like this. It's, it's <laughs> crazy. So <laughs> I just remember. Of a, of a witness program. That's what that was. <laughs> exactly. And again, I thought, oh God, I just, I, I didn't do it very well. So I'm not going to. Now, this is the lesson that's underlying, underlying that would apply to everyone. We all strive for perfection. If you ask me, am I a perfectionist? I would say absolutely not. I've never been a perfectionist. But there is always something that we want to be a certain way. And that is some form of perfection. So I didn't have to have video in the first season of my podcast. I could have just had the audio. And video, it, video to me was perfection, right? It wasn't explicitly. But it was like, I want to have video. And therefore, the video is bad. And therefore, I'm not going to upload the episode. It was almost that I just, after six months, and somebody said to me, you're never going to release your podcast. And I said, well, yes, I am. And I just did it because I was like, I just won't release the video. Who cares? Let's just do the audio. Most podcasts are audio right now anyway. So let's just do the audio and start with that. And I think that 
if you're struggling with doing something because you're fear you're fearful about it not being perfect or you're scared it's not going to be right or you're scared that it's not going to be received well you need to step back and think why and if one of those things is kind of irrelevant you just need to go for it obviously you can't start a podcast with I don't know your pajamas on your head right you just can't do that okay I wouldn't recommend you to just say I'll just go for it the point is is that if you're always waiting for something to be perfect it's never going to be my podcast to this day are not perfect and every week I rip my hair out and I think this isn't going wrong and this isn't going right and this this needs to change and something always needs to change and that's okay what's really important is your heart is in the right place and your heart should be in a place of am I giving value to the listener I knew that I had something within me to share valuable conversations because when I would talk about things, people would listen. And when I would speak, the room would go quiet. And I, and I recognized that from a young age that like when I'm speaking, it's going quiet. And when other people are speaking, the room is not going that quiet. And people would open up to me so much. And I would, some, and when I was younger, I said, it's a bit weird. Like, why is this wonder person telling me that? I still remember I had my laser eye surgery and it went bust the week after. And the guy told me it was going to go bust. And now I'm bloody stuck with non-perfect eyes and I don't have my scans. Total nightmare. Should have listened to him. But at the time, I just remember thinking, why is he telling me that it's going to go bust? Like, I'm so confused. I don't really understand. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that some people are able to allow people to open up. And you should use that for the good in order to allow them to share their experiences, allow them to share their stories so that they can inspire other people. Absolutely. Um, That's a super interesting way of looking at it because intention, like I'm big on intention. And I think Mm -hmm. the, the intention that you have determines the outcome that you experience because it's kind of like um, people going money is the root of all evil. Like actually money is, nothing but Mm -hmm. it's how it's being used that will determine if it's being used for good or for bad essentially um, perception and experience so you your intention has always been there just to have great conversations which is what you know people end up hearing 100 percent. i always i always knew that i wanted to have these conversations because no one no one ever wanted to bring them up and every time i bring them up people were a little bit funny about it but then they were speaking on the side about it and I was like I just know that people are having these conversations somewhere and I want to be the person to bring it you know like because I know that people are too scared to, to engage in it so I need to make sure that I'm giving people both sides so where do you think you get your bravery from to have these conversations that everyone else is scared of having openly I don't know. I don't know. I've always been very, very curious, though. Very curious. And I've always thought that it's a compliment to ask somebody, Hmm. like, oh, tell me how you did this. Or tell me how you did that. It is. You're learning from them. It's a compliment. And I guess that I always like to challenge people because if you're strong in something, you should... A lot of people who are strong will welcome the challenge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. If you're confident in your viewpoint, you'll be able to tell me both sides. And so you'll find it cheeky and you'll find it nice that Mm -hmm. I'm challenging you because you'll think that I'm actually challenging you to give me a different perspective. And I think that that comes across as quite intelligent in somebody. Uh, 
It's all about the way they do it, though. This is it. And again, it's with the intention yeah. for why you're asking. Correct. If, right. your in- if your intention is to learn yeah. and you're asking a different perspective because you actually do want to be quite a fair person and learn both sides, I think that is quite attractive. I, I think but I think also... if your intention is to jab at somebody, then it's not. Yeah. And I think it's also necessary as well, because otherwise, how else do you learn? Because, yeah. you know, I, I've always been one of those people and I learned very early on that most people don't like talking about money. And yeah, they don't. And it's interesting to see how much people avoid talking about money. But yeah, and this uh, to me is why I feel like there's such a big separation between people who have wealth and people who don't have wealth and are trying to build it and doing everything Mm -hmm. you can to learn, but then get sold into something that's the shortcut to get there, but not actually the answer. And that's why, you know, one of the things that I've always done is like, I'll see someone who I think is in a great position earning extremely well. And I'll just ask, not because I care about what they're actually earning and taking home. I'm curious because I want to learn. Like, what did you do to get in the position that you're in? How did you get there? Exactly. What time frame did it take? And I always say this, if you don't mind me asking, what do you actually earn? Because yeah. I'm just curious. Like, and I didn't realize people lie so much about what they earn. Oh my God. I think men do this because like women don't really have that conversation that much. And if they do, I think they do generally tell the truth. But I was speaking to my boyfriend about it and he was like, people lie so much. And I was like, why would you lie and say you earn more? Because isn't that just like, don't you feel more stupid? And don't you feel embarrassed? Because I don't know, if I said I was earning £100,000 every year and my lifestyle doesn't support that, then isn't someone going to call me out on it? Like, I would be, I would rather say I earn less. It's an interesting one. I, earn more. So I, I reckon it's obviously an ego boost in some way or form. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. massively. But it is an interesting one because you know, I, I work in sales and my, my earnings are as volatile as a stocks and shares chart. It'll be like up and down all the time. But like, I know other people who work in sales and I've always been curious. I'm like, okay, so what kind of commission structure do you have? How does it work for you? Yes. Like it's important to know because how do you gauge where your worth sits plus what's happening in the market? Because, you know, it's a really important conversation to have, I think. And, you know, for anyone listening, if there are other people asking you how they, how you got to where you are, like my advice is just be open with it because you never know what you might inspire and teach in someone else as well. 100%. I agree. Okay. What was what's the intention for and the vision actually for a millennial mind from this point onwards oh this is hard because i never tell anyone my plans uh i don't think you should tell anyone your plans because i think that your goals and your vision should be kept to you but i have said this multiple times i will share Obviously, one day I would like to have my own show. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be the new Oprah. So okay, I that's love- where I'd like to get to. But I really think that you don't need to tell everyone everything you want to do. So people uh- will doubt you. People will tell you you can't do it. And if it stops you by 0.01%, if it adds that 0.2% out in your mind, I don't think you should tell anyone. Because there's been times I've told people and they're like, 
oh really when I told people that I was going to do this podcast all the time everyone was like really people sort of say like do you really make any money from it are you really doing that well and I'm just like no I'm not but I'm happy next like because if I tell you I'm doing well you're going to be like what that doesn't make any sense can you tell me exactly what you're doing can you teach me exactly how you're doing it and I'm just like but I don't have this formula like that it just isn't this formula that I've, I've created and I've done because my salary is just as volatile as you're saying right and what has worked for me is not necessarily going to work for you mm-hmm. and I'm just seeing this so much with people just jumping on this podcast wagon of being like I'm gonna start a podcast and I'm gonna get loads of followers and I'm gonna go viral it's like that's just not the reason you should start a podcast and everyone is starting a podcast for that reason and it's just so funny how many people copy and I find it just so ridiculous that we're all trying to be somebody else all the time yeah absolutely it's super interesting that you um have the philosophy of not sharing your vision or like the goals right uh because yeah well my this... long-term vision is, is is a tv show but I, I what i mean by that is i don't want to tell you exactly what i want to do like in the next two months yeah which is which is fair uh but it's yeah. interesting because i listened to a podcast with um the president of shopify and it was oh yeah it was on a stephen bartlett podcast that came out a few months yeah, ago yeah yeah loved it it was super interesting because uh, i mean i love his energy on there as well and what he said and this is one specific thing that i remember he's like tell everyone your vision tell everyone your goals tell everyone what you're working towards because but specifically tell the right people yeah and i think that's key which is you're not going to just want to tell any old random person everything that you're working yeah. with, but you want to tell the people who you know will 100% back you and support you and kind of encourage you 100% 100% like even the other day I messaged Rashma and she said, how's it going? I was like, I'm struggling today. And um, I said, I, I just don't know sometimes what I'm doing this for. And she said, you know what you're doing it for. We all do. Your own show. It's coming. I'm manifesting it for you. And this is what I mean by telling the right people, because you tell one of your friends and they're just like, you know, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And it's hard. And then, you know, give it up if you want to. And you can always go back to your corporate job and da 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 but she was reminded me in that second okay you know your goal so just keep going for it and there's so many goals that I think so many of us have and I think it's so important to keep them to yourself because there are so many people that will put their limitations on you if I told somebody right now I'm going to make a million pounds for my podcast next year they're going to be like yeah good luck mate I've been doing mine for five years so I don't know how you're going to do that like yeah you've been doing yours for five years so and already, and I'm not saying that, by the way, I'm just giving yeah, an example. But one of the things that I, I learned, the biggest, biggest lesson I ever learned from my guest was from Zizo. And he said, do not expect others to, he said, sorry, what he said was, do not expect me to live by your expectations. I love that. If you think you can't do it, you can't do it. You don't know what I can do. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to tell me I can't do something? Because only you know what you're capable of. You don't know what I'm capable of. And that's why now he also said as well, is that you should only give 100% of yourself to those who you know will appreciate you. Because if, like, we're doing this podcast, and I don't know who's listening, right? And I can 
expect that someone will send me a hateful message, not from this podcast, but in general, and in, in yeah. terms of speaking in public, I can expect it. If I expect that, why am I going to give you 100% of me? That's a good point. I'm not going to give you 100% of me. I'm going to give you 20% because I expect that reaction from you. So yeah. if I meet somebody who I feel has got negative energy, I'm not going to give them 100% of me because I expect you to be in a certain way. And if I expect it from you, I'm not going to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. We didn't expect anything from you in the first place. We are unhappy when our expectations are not met. If I come on this podcast and I expect you to be really nice and you're really mean, I'm going to be sad. But yeah, if I come on this podcast and I expect you to not be nice and I don't give you 100% of myself, I'm going to give you 20%. It's all intentional. Absolutely. I came on here. I expect you to not be nice. I gave you 20% of me. If you don't like me, I don't care. You've only seen 20% of me. You haven't seen 100% of me. There's like, I, I'm not even going to be affected by the fact that you don't like me because you don't even know me. You only know 20% of me. Yeah. And Zizo taught me that lesson. And from that, I'm like, I don't need to share everything with anyone anymore. That's super interesting. It's, yeah. a, it's a very protective way to um, keep close to your heart everything that you're working towards because yeah. you know exactly what it is you're working towards and no one else can see that vision except you. This is an interesting one because do you find that strangers or people that you don't know as well will support you 10 times more than people that are close to you? I really hate this narrative. I really hate this narrative. I'll tell you why. You have to remember that the way your friends and family see you is not how strangers see you. If somebody sees a clip of me speaking articulately for a minute, and I'm sharing my favorite quote, this is what I love. This is a learning I had in my life. They're gonna be three million times more inspired than their sister telling them the same story, right? And your best friends and your friends are not there in your life to be like think you're the best person in the whole world and you know to admire everything you say they're your friends you know they love you for you you know and I think that there's this awful narrative online it's like oh your friends will support you rubbish like your friends won't support you and random strangers support you more my friends are so amazing and I'm blessed to have them but do they share my content more than a random person who resonates with it does no because a lot of the time they've heard it from me. A lot of the time they support me in different ways. And a lot of the time that this isn't the first time they've heard it. So they're not wowed by it. They've heard me speak about this for so long. Yep. So when I'm sharing it in a podcast, they're like, I've heard Shivani say this. So I'm not like mesmerized, but I don't expect them to be. And I think we have this expectation that people in your close vicinity should be mesmerized by you or they should be so proud of the thing that you've done. You've probably told them 3 million times about your idea. You've probably showed them your product 4,000 times. So in person, when you show them your product, let's say it's a product, they'd be like, wow, this is amazing. You can't then then expect them for every single post you do about that product and your brand for the rest of your life, continue to say, wow, this is amazing. Your friends are also sometimes not your target audience. So again, it's like you showing me, I don't know, a PlayStation controller and me being like, cool, that's nice. Okay. You show other people like the PlayStation controller. My microphone is now switched because my AirPods have died. Can you hear me? This is sounds sounds great. Honestly, this is like hilarious. (laughs) Um, Anything else could go wrong. I remember this used to happen when I used to record virtual podcasts, but it's all all good. This is all perfect. Don't worry about it. 
the point is, is that you just can't expect somebody who's not interested in the particular thing you're talking about, whether that's a product or a service, to be raving about it because they support you in other ways. And I think we've got to change this narrative. Let's start looking for how our friends and families support us in different ways. Let's start seeing the positive in the way that everyone supports us. Because I know that at the end of the day, when I want to share my wins, I'm not going to be sharing it with a random influencer online. Yeah, absolutely. I'm it with my family and you've got to appreciate them for that 100 percent. and i have um two two views on that which i agree with you um it's an expectations thing so if yeah. someone has the expectation that they're expecting their friends and family to do that well it leads to disappointment anyway and then it can lead to resentment and frustration and everything else on a whole new level uh but the second thing is you actually kind of touched on it your friends and family are not your target audience really no like they're not like uh, i talk to people about this all the time who have like product-based businesses and whatever and they're like oh no one's buying it and what they're really saying is like friends and family haven't supported the business and i'm doing that in air quotes but actually they're not your customer no it's it's when you go and sell it to someone else like selling to your family is just kind of like giving your mum 10 pounds like that's not a sale Exactly. And I don't, I just think that this whole point around, if you're truly authentic to who you are, in in my case, they've heard me say it three billion times before. And if you've got a product, I'm sure you've shown it to them 15,000 times before. So when you post it online, and you have to remember, this is what people forget. I post every single day. How can I expect someone to share every single day? Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't expect someone to share every single day. And people forget this, like, even I wish I could help I must get like eight or nine messages from friends or family or somebody I know that's like, hey, do you mind just jumping on a call with me for 10 minutes? Like, hey, do you mind just helping me with this? Hey, do you mind just sharing this on your story? I'm like, I'm not a flipping marketplace. I can't share every single person's family or friends stuff on my story. I just can't do it. And I feel really bad, but I always have to explain to them, like, it's going to give you nothing. It's going to give you nothing. If I'm posting and someone asked me to post their like wedding stuff and I was like, dude, I talk about not having a big wedding. I can't post <laughs> spending five million pounds on having, you know, this wedding stuff that you want me to post. Like it's just not going to align. Yeah. And people people forget that. You have to remember to, ta- to focus on your target market and your target audience. Absolutely. And moving perfectly from there, let's talk about business. So- yeah what how do you see yourself and your brand as a business mm-hmm. and talk to me about the business of uh my performance planner like what okay. is the purpose of it did you even intend that to be a business or was that just something that you're doing for yourself nothing i did was intended to be a business which i think is a bit of a fundamental error and i think that i should have looked at it as that mm-hmm. and this last year also i'll be honest i think that i have realized that, okay, I need to make sure I'm running things like a business because at the end of the day, this is my full-time job now. And um, I make sure that I had, before I quit my job, I made sure that I had several income streams, right? They were not making a lot of money, but I made sure I had several avenues and a proof of concept in each of those. The first thing and the core of everything I do is the podcast. Okay. Apart from the podcast, after the podcast, I started coaching 
because I was already doing consulting and I was already doing strategy work. I do not do life coaching, but I can very easily identify within your business, like a pain point, how to solve it and give you an action plan and a strategy and organize your life to ensure you hit those goals. I can do that with my eyes closed. And I love doing it. I did it on the phone with someone today, you know, and I love it. So I was doing that. From that, I realized it was a very simple template that people need to follow in order to achieve their goals. And I created the planner. And I wanted to create the planner alongside having wellness incorporated into it because I was sick of having several journals for like one for gratitude, one for reflection, one for affirmations. How many journals can I carry? You know, not very many. So I created it all into one. And that's why my performance plan was created. After my performance planner, the podcast, and, and this is one thing that I've, I need to do again now. This is, the, this is the reason my podcast grew. I basically was doing too much at one point and I was doing the planner the coaching the podcast and I had my job which is and when I just I just stopped coaching and I just stopped the planner I I never invested one penny into the planner never to this day have I done one ad never to this day interesting biggest mistake I think it's a multi-million dollar product and I think it's the best (laughs) product obviously I'm going to say that but I do think that if I put a significant advert, if I had a strategy to put ad revenue behind it, it could do really well. But it's never been my priority because the podcast is always my priority. Always. Okay. And so last year, I just said to myself, I'm just going to forget about everything else. I'm just going to focus on the podcast. And that is what led to the success of the podcast is pure focus and not doing 300 different things. And where I am in my life right now, I'm back in that place where I'm like, I need to do pure focus i need to let go of everything else and i have to focus on on two things now because i don't have my corporate job anymore right so i can focus on like two things yep really what i'm doing now and that's the business of it so from doing the the podcast i started getting inbound requests from corporate companies saying oh can you speak around wellness in the workplace can you speak around confrontation can you speak having difficult conversations and i was like huh what i don't understand this just never forget the day somebody from McKinsey emailed me and I thought, there's no way this is legit. There's just no way. And I realized from that, yeah, it was crazy. And I was I realized from that is if I'm getting inbound, then I must be able to get outbound. Still to this day, I have not really sent any emails out for corporate workshops. Again, my limiting beliefs and I'm too scared and I don't have the time and I'll come up with think of a million excuses. I need to do that. But the point is, in order for you to create a business, I think that you need to have a for proof of concept and you need to make sure that you're doing something that's stimulating your brain. I am a little bit worried that there are so many people that want to be content creators and they have degrees from university. And I say, what content creation content creation want to do? And they're like, fashion. And I'm like, okay, what's your degree at university? Engineering. Okay, so what do you want to do? I want to like take different photos in cafes and different restaurants. And I'm just like, it really worried me like a hey gorgeous where I met you Mm -hmm. I met these two girls and that's what they said and I just thought like I think that I think that if fashion is something you want to study there's there's art behind it it's it's something you should study there's something that you need to explore and understand but what I don't really rate is doing a career for the short term because you think it's going to get you popularity and likes and I think that is what we are encouraging right now people are so filtered online they've got like 3,000 face apps on their pictures and I'm like, this is crazy. We're chasing something that isn't really real. It's it's first two things, actually. The first thing about what you just said about what caused the growth of the podcast and now what 
decision you're facing now as well. It's kind of like the 80-20 ball, right? You want to mm. spend 80% of your time, uh, sorry, you want to, you're spending 20% of your time for the 80% of the result and it's not efficient or effective. So, yeah. you know, making that decision is critical because otherwise you end up feeling, and, and this is actually what I wanted to talk to you about, which was that post where you posted, um, where you just were like, do you know what? Sometimes I just want to give up. Oh, I feel like that all the time. Yes, two days ago, I was crying my eyes out. I was like, I'm done with it. I'm so done with it. I just can't do it anymore. But normally when I get like that, I've either had a really bad day or I'm going to start my period. And it was the latter this time. So I just recognized that, okay, if things don't change in two days, then you have to think about it again. But Jo Malone really helped me. Mm. And she said, when you want to give up, just give yourself one more day. Just one more day. Just say to yourself, not today. Just not today. And you wake up in the morning and you'll think, oh, I've got to do it again. But just say not today. And when you get through that day of it being tough, you're just like, I've got a little bit left more left in me. And I made a video today and I said, I made a video and I've talked about it in kind of um, past tense of, there's a statistic and I don't know what it is, but it's like one in X amount of businesses fail or like, one in two businesses or one in three businesses. Do you know what it is? I yeah, I, I think, I mean, I know the percentage, is it like 80, 75% of businesses fail in the first year or something? So 75% of businesses yeah. fail in the first year. And I was like, I do not want to add to that statistic. I do not want to add to that statistic. Mm -hmm. I don't want that statistic to grow. So of course, right now, when it's a bit hard, I can, I should give up. I should. Sometimes I just think like, this is stupid. I should give up. But then I'm like, but I can change that statistic. Like I have the power to change it. So why am I going to suck into it? And I'm just not going to allow myself to fail. There's just no way I'm going to allow myself to fail. And I really, really know that one day it will be okay. It's just not okay right now. And this is what I said to someone earlier when they were going through something. I just said it's temporary. Everything is temporary. Happiness is temporary. Sadness is temporary. Success is temporary. Failure is temporary. Everything in our life is temporary. And you've just got to understand that it is temporary and push through it. And I'm not saying this as somebody who's like really successful and has achieved everything I wanted to achieve. I'm telling you this now because nobody ever listens when you're on your high. They listen when you're on your low. And I am at the moment struggling a bit. And I'm okay to admit that because I know it's not going to last forever. I love that. And you've just reminded me of a clip that I saw with like Tom Hanks and some other actors sitting around the table. I think Denzel Washington was there. And the oh. phrase that they keep coming back to was, this too shall pass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that because that's exactly what you're talking about, which is, and it goes down to our feelings. Like, uh, so often we can be taught to like, oh, if you don't feel like doing it, it's okay. But yeah. feelings are futile. Like, they don't really mean anything. They're, they're just as, um, well, they're just as up and down as uh, being a salesperson. So, you know, it, it changes <laughs> all day, every day. And mm -hmm. um if you continuously make your decisions based on your feelings, yeah, well, you know, I didn't feel like wanting to finish my degree because I thought it was uh, too hard and I felt like I was going to look like a failure, which is what led me to dropping out. And yeah. having that experience makes me not want to quit other things. Do you think that that's made you like, you know, the experiences that you had of feeling like you failed back in A-levels and stuff, do you feel like that still drives you today? Like, reminding yourself of what that was like as traumatic as university was for both yeah. of us 
we both felt that way. I still remember the night before one of my exams and I was on my way home and I met someone as I was coming out the library and I said, oh, what topics have you revised for the questions? You know, everyone used to ask each other that. Yep. And he said, this, this, and this. And I said, oh, I've done this, this, and this. And he was like, wait, you do know it's, that's not going to be in the lecture. They said that in the summary lecture. And I was like, wait, what? And it was the night before. And I remember just thinking, like, just, I, just, I don't want to, I just don't want to be here anymore. Like, I'm done. Like, just, I can't do it. And I remember I just went and got a coffee and I sat down and I just thought, okay, you just have to do it. You don't have a choice. You have to do it. If you've got an exam in the morning, you either go to sleep and you like, you can't go to sleep because you feel physically sick and you're going to like throw up or you get on with it. And I think that like we've become a little bit immune to that. And I think that that really, really taught me that you can push through. Yeah. And I I remember that day so much now when I can't push through. And I just remind myself that like, you did it then, so do it now. And that's not great sometimes because it does lead to burnout, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how do you define success? Oh, uh, don't ask me the question. It's such an important question. Such an important question because uh, people could look at you and go, she's made it. And- why okay actually yeah please let's explore this why why do you think that could be it's a numbers thing yeah because i have followers yeah that's it and and that right now is i would say typically the measurement for success when people are looking at other people on social media yeah yeah yeah. and i'll tell you one thing about numbers i used to think having over a hundred thousand was a lot it is nothing nothing no, like nothing I, I feel like a micro influencer every day interesting I feel like a proper micro influencer all the time because you have to remember a number will always change a number will yep. always go up the guess I was getting when I was on like 4,000 5,000 were already over 100,000 a lot of them were 200,000 now people can guess who have millions of followers millions and some of them are coming to me and half the time I'm like what this happens so many times with someone with over a million followers has reached out to me. I'm like, why do they want to reach out? To, why do they want me to interview them? Doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. What do you think the reason is? Um, look, I'm not here to put myself down. I'm not here to be arrogant. I I recognize that the conversations that I have have impact, and I think people watch them. And it doesn't matter how many followers you have. You're like, I want to have a conversation that has impact. And so, whilst I think that numbers are stupid and they don't matter I still have those limiting beliefs about people who have higher numbers than me and I think we all will and we always will forever because we will always have that when it comes to money and we will always have that when it comes to the size of our houses and we'll always have that when it comes to the cars we drive it's very natural that if you're chasing after something materialistic you're always going to want the upgrade and the upgrade is always 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 going to be there 100 percent uh there's always a bigger fish always Always. so what would you define success as for you right now in this moment because okay forget about it i'll I'll, I'll tell you no problem i will say one one thing because i whatever definition you give me today is probably going to change because there'll probably be something else further down the line as well but i'm curious it's money okay 
And the reason why it's money is because I was always told that I wasn't going to make a lot of money. And I was always told that I was never going to be. And the reason I say it's money and not a position is because I'm no longer in an organization. If I was in an organization, it would be like to be a partner. Okay. At the moment, in order for me to match that status, it's money because the only way, you know, certain people in my life will think I'm successful is if they can say Shivani's earning X amount. Right? A hundred percent. I especially when you're Indian as well and you're not doing uh the traditional doctor, lawyer, engineer situation. Um, the amount of money you're earning means everything. Of course it does. And you know, I've I've always been somebody that's wanted to support myself. I've always been somebody who wants to make it alone. By the way, I've always been somebody who's like, I would, I need to do everything alone. I need to make sure I make it alone. And I think that that has contributed more to be like, I need to make sure I'm so financially independent. But again, with money, I know that what, whatever number I hit, it will never be enough. Seven months this year where I could not have dreamed of making a certain figure. And every time... I made it. I was like, okay, great, whatever. I need to make. I need. I need to. It's. I need to make more. Like it doesn't make any sense. And there's months I'm literally just like not even meeting mm-hmm. half of my output, half of my outgoings. My outgoings are so high now, and I've been like, oh my god. And that's a really big change, by the way, from yeah. a corporate job. From a corporate job, you have to remember the tax is taken out for you. So what you're taking home, you're taking home. With your job. Like when you're self-employed, you look at the money. That's not what you take home. 100%. You know? And the problem is, is that I'm trying to invest more and more into the company. So I'm not really taking anything out. So then you feel like a complete failure because you're like, at least I was getting something with the corporate job. At least I was getting some income every month that I could like buy nice clothes with and like buy makeup with and like do stuff with it with. Now I just really, really restrict all of that stuff. And I think that, the problem with having levels of success is money. Like for me, I will feel successful. And I say money is because I want to have my own studio. That is like my like obsession right now. I'm just like having so many problems with having to always be in a studio, which everyone else uses because the lights change and the cameras change. And so much of it is so, so much harder. And I feel that if I had my own studio, I would be so happy, right? Like if you said to me right now, you can spend a hundred grand and you, and you need by the way like a hundred grand yeah for studio mm-hmm. if not more for like maintenance yeah, all the equipment maintenance everything there's so much involved and um so for me i need that and that's why i say money because that's when i'm like okay well that that's when i'll see like oh, i'm successful because i have that does that make sense not money to like you know buy a chanel handbag is what i'm trying to reiterate here yeah absolutely and I guess this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's it's not really the money either. It's actually it's not, the studio. It's actually the studio. Yeah, but the thing is, the studio needs the needs money. Needs money, right? yeah, which is, so uh, like, which is just a tool. Exactly, and also, like, a team and, like, having, like, you know, there is nothing greater than walking in a room and having people who are aligned with you on your mission. Absolutely. And if you ask me last year, if you listen to my podcast last year, I'll say, I'm not lonely. I don't mind the loneliness. This last few months, I've like I've just felt so incredibly lonely. And I've just felt like, oh my God, like I just wish I had a team of like three people that could tell me a new idea. I'm just like in my head 
yeah like all the time going through the ideas and for the first year when you do it it's exciting and it's fun and it's it's great and then you're like I need to bounce back so yesterday when I was you know going through like a bit of a difficult time I just messaged like five people and I was like tell me about this tell me about this tell me about this what do you think of this what do you think of that because I, I need I need to bounce ideas off people yeah yeah you need to have a sounding board because otherwise you get stuck in your own thoughts and there's only so many different versions of your own thoughts you can have um, yeah so that's huge you've been moved out for a couple of months now yeah six months uh, six months so what has independence taught you like being fully independent away from yeah. everything what's been the biggest lesson for you as an Indian person you can never be fully independent because your parents will be <laughs> I know my mom's called um, me twice today so I get it yeah my mom's me three times while we've been on this podcast she's probably <laughs> having a meltdown right now that I haven't called her back um, and yeah. I think that we are so sheltered by our parents mm. and you know I was so aware of that when I moved to Nottingham and I had to like work in Bedford of like oh my god like this life that I thought was going to have is just not true um but I think that it's so important I can't emphasize this enough to have time where you have no responsibility yeah. I'm the oldest girl in my family and as the eldest child in my family you have so much responsibility. 100%. I'm the oldest of Yeah, you just do. You have so much more responsibility. And it was hard for me to move out because I always felt that I was letting somebody down or I wasn't going to be able to be there as much. And I'm, the thing is with me, as I'm a very like direct person, I'm like, I won't be here as much for you. I'm not like one of those people that's like, yeah, no, I, I still will be around. I'm like, I actually won't be here Monday to Friday to, to, to like sort things out if I need to be doing things. If I need to come on the weekend then I'll try, but I can't promise. Like, I, I know it's going to change. And I found that really hard because I knew that when I moved out, it wasn't going to be the same. I'm not like an optimist, by the way, at all. I'm actually a bit of a pe pessimist like that. I'll always think of the worst case scenario, never the best case scenario. And so it was really difficult to have that, but I think that I needed it because, you know, I grew up in a family of 11 people and then I moved to being the oldest child in my family. And then I've had several people that have been close to me that have been very ill or passed away. And there was always something. There's always, always something that you need to be there to support someone. And this time in my flat, it's only been six months. I've been home every single weekend since I've been here because it's yep. again something. Of course. Is I have Monday to Friday where I do not have to listen to anyone telling me anything. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing passing by. No one asking me to empty the dishwasher. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I can literally eat Nutella on my bed if I want to and no one can tell me off I do not have to wake up I can stay in bed all day and no one can tell me to I've never done that probably my... I was gonna is say that... probably go on go on finish finish the point is is that you you just need to have freedom in your own thoughts and your own mind and you need to have time where you just think about you and I think that it's just such a lovely feeling to do whatever the hell you want <laughs> it's ultimate freedom that's the only way I can, I, and I get it. I'm the oldest child. I've got, uh, didn't live with a family as big as yours, but there was a lot of people in the house at one stage. Yeah. There was like eight of us um, yeah. growing up, but it's it's interesting because, and my mom's going to be listening to this and I have no issue saying this. Um, as the oldest, she's very reliant on me for most. Yeah. And like even today, she's trained as a hypnotherapist and she's asking me, how does she get new clients? And yeah. she goes, oh, because I'm going to see them tomorrow. She goes, listen, um, when you come over, you can just help me write the post. And like, you've got to set that boundary. Because even today, I was like, 
no, no, you're going to write the post and then, and then you're going to show it to me. Yeah. It's, it's setting that boundary and just being comfortable in saying no. Cause that's, we, I think as Indians as well, you get so guilty or guilt tripped into saying like, when you say no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it affects so many other things that you do in your life, like for work and everything else. You just feel like you can't say no. Yeah, agree. And that's huge. Okay, last question for you, which is if, and I love this question, if you could go back to one point in time in your life and only give yourself one piece of advice, what age would you go back to and what would you say? I wish I would, I, w- I wish I could say to myself at like age, I don't know, 11, work hard and like be really studious. I, don't, I just don't think I would listen to myself. <laughs> if I'm truly, I'd go back to Warwick. And, and also I would not want to relive the moments of like do, studying so much. So no, actually <laughs> I would not do that. I would go back to Warwick Business School and I would say, write more notes and get Nick's number and get Nick's email and harass him forever and ever to be your mentor. I love that. Shivani, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. Uh, Absolutely loved it. Uh, It's just been awesome to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. It's been so long. We've talked for like two hours. (laughs) Yeah, I did not realize we'd go on, but this has been amazing. (laughs) So uh, no, I just appreciate your energy. It's been awesome. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.